worship this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. As we've gotten to know each other over the last few weeks, I've, I've let you know a little bit about um, the people at my home that I call children. Uh, just to give you a little bit more insight, they do remind me of people from the Bible at times. Uh, when I look at Shepherd, who is my oldest, and I look at his personality and how it is for him to be the oldest sibling, uh, I've realized that he's basically our Martha in that story of Mary and Martha. He's the worker. He's the kid. And you all know, if you're the oldest sibling, you know you're the one that received more chores than you should ever receive. It's almost unfair, really, when I really begin to consider it. It's always stuff like, that he really shouldn't be doing. Like, Shepherd, can you take out the garbage? Sure. Shepherd, can you watch your brother for a minute? Sure. Shepherd, can you drive your brother to school? Like, these are the things that you ask of the oldest sibling. And people just look at you very awkwardly. Uh, Charlie is more our Martha. Or rather, our Mary. He is the worshiper. He loves to sing songs to Jesus. His favorite song is one that he has written. It's called, God, You Are My Only Father. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. There's an unnamed character in the Bible story, uh, and that's who my, my Magnolia is. She is our Maleficent. Uh, on her birthday, it's January the 11th, and uh, she believes that you should celebrate it 340 days of the year. But on, on her birthday this year, Charlie, my Mary, wanted to let magnolia know how much he loved her so charlie wakes up super early more early than he should because if you try to talk to me before 5 45 i'm not even a christian and he comes into my that's a joke people he comes into our room he taps me on the shoulder and he said daddy because charlie kind of talks like a dragon he said daddy I've got a gift for Noli. I'm like, well, that's great. Go back to bed. Do not talk to me until the rooster crows. And he comes back again. Daddy, I've got a gift for Noli. That's great, Charlie. What do you want to do? He said, I want to whap it. <laughs> Shepherd standing beside him. Shepherd ever the Martha says, Daddy, I'll help him wrap it. And I've just outsourced all of my work as a parent. <laughs> Knock it out. Eventually, Hope has to help them wrap the gift. And uh, then Noli gets up, and people carry her on their shoulders into the living room to celebrate her birthday. And uh, when she gets in there, she sees the gift. She is excited about the gift. Cannot wait to open the gift. And she rips into it. And realizes what it is. Charlie had a Mickey Mouse that he received when he was around two or three. And he had chosen to give Magnolia his Mickey Mouse. His Mickey Mouse that belonged to him. And when she gets to it, she looks at it. And you as a parent can see on her face, this is not about to go well. Because she realizes the fact this is an old stuffed animal. And she looks at Charlie and she said, I don't want that. 
And Hope communicates the story to me. And I ask her, can we, can we punish her on her birthday? What, what do we need to do to deal with this on her birthday? To look at something and to see what it is. But when you get to the inside of it to see that it's more. This Jesus who we look at, I, I believe that lots of us in this room and lots of people across our country and lots of people around the world, they have come to an understanding of Jesus in the sense that they know that they need a Savior. They have acknowledged that they want him to spend eternity with them and that they in turn want to spend eternity with him. They have trusted him in their best understanding of what trust is. Jesus, I want you to save me. But when we really get to the depths of who Jesus is, there are moments when our hearts cry out, I do not want that. I don't want him telling me what to do. I don't want him pushing me to do things that I'm uncomfortable with. I don't want this Jesus to give me any demands, any expectations that are uncomfortable to me. The, the thing is, if you're here and you're like, oh, the, I, amen, well, I just want to be honest with you. If there's never a moment when you read through your Bible and you disagree with Jesus, if Jesus never rubs you the wrong way, then there's a really good chance that your Jesus is you. Jesus is always pushing us to a different place. To be something different. To go beyond our comfort. We're in Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. This kingdom upside down concept. That Jesus would call every one of us who believe in him. To something completely unique. And you have Jesus dealing with the, the Pharisees. As he preaches to his disciples. Disciples are there to hear him. The crowds are overhearing him. And the Pharisees would be jeering him. Because all that he's saying is all that you've heard Jerusalem for all of these years is a group of people teaching you stuff and missing the reason for it. I love the Bible. And I believe that we love It's in the name here. But the end goal is not to know the Bible the end goal is for us to know Jesus better because of it. And the Pharisees had just stopped with what they'd found in the Bible. In the Old Testament. Missing the Messiah that all of these Old Testament teachings pointed towards. Let's not miss Jesus for the sake of rules and regulations. Matthew chapter 5 verse 33. Here we go. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely. But you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or, or by the earth, for it's its footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or one hair black. Let what you say be simply yes. Or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. 38. Retaliation. You have heard that it was said. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. 
But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Your neighbors, your enemies rather. 43, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are, are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. These are the back three of the six antitheses. That's a phrase that means, basically, these are the phrases where Jesus makes a statement that is in contrast to what the Jewish people had been taught. A fulfillment of what they'd been taught, in a sense, but also a, in contrast to what the Pharisees had been misteaching them. Because all that the Pharisees wanted to do was set up a way for the Jewish people to be in bondage. There's a book, it was written in 1945 by a man by the name of George Orwell. It's called Animal Farm. There's a really good chance that you read Animal Farm when you were in 8th or ninth grade. Did anyone besides me read Animal Farm? Animal Farm is about communism. There is a horse in the book who, every time he is commanded to do something, responds by this overwhelming push by his master, by the farmer. His name is Boxer, not the farmer, but the horse. Every time the master would command the horse to do something or chastise the horse for doing something incorrectly, he would say, I will work harder. Over and over, theme of Boxer's life, Boxer the horse, I will work harder. Yet the farmer who he was working for never believed that Boxer could work hard enough. When the Pharisees laid everything out, when the Pharisees laid out these rules and regulations for the Jewish people, all the people heard was, I will work harder. And they believe for them to be acceptable before the Most High God, I will work harder. The Pharisees have worked so hard to give us an understanding as to what we are to do and how we are to do it. I will work harder. I will work harder. I will work harder. That's a complete contrast to the teachings of Jesus and, and what we call the gospel. Because our acceptance before God is never because we've worked hard enough. It was because of what God has done for us in Jesus. Because when you really begin to look at all of these things that are expected of these people, what you find is that they are the equivalent of what happens when we go on picnics. If you've ever been on a picnic in this room, could you raise your hand to let me know that you're with me? There are lots of good things that happen at picnics. Hamburgers hot dogs. If you go to a fancy picnic, every now and then they'll have even steaks. 
One of the worst things at a picnic is when you're there and they have decided to provide for you high dollar meat and you sit there with the steak in your hand or in your paper plate and you ask them where the cutlery is. And you were expected to cut a piece of beef with plastic. Is that not awful? It's the same as using an ironing board at a hotel. I mean, you may as well rub your hands together and pat that thing down. Or the electric razor. That's the worst invention ever. They might as well just call it the electric because there is no razor to it. It's the idea of us having things that don't accomplish what they're intended to accomplish. Jesus looks at these rules and these regulations of the Pharisees and he says, you've got all these things in place. They don't do what they're supposed to do. The idea of oaths, verse 33, what we find is what God really calls for us from us is consistency, not commitments. That we would live a life before God and before man that we, in such a way that it's consistent where we're not always having to make these various promises. There are numerous places in the Old Testament. If you're a note taker, feel free to write some of these down. Leviticus 19.12, you see, And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God, because I am the Lord. Numbers 30, verse 2. If a man vows to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all the proceeds out of his mouth. Deuteronomy chapter 23. When you make a vow to the Lord, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require of it, require it of you. And it would be sin to you. The thing was, the Pharisees weren't making swears to the Lord. Jesus was addressing that they were making swears to everything. I, I swear to heaven is one of the things the Pharisees would swear by. I swear by the throne of God. I swear by the earth, by Jerusalem, by the altar, by the temple, by my head. I swear by my sister's nose. They would swear by anything that they could see. Because for the Pharisees, to swear by any of those things was the equivalent of us crossing our fingers when we make a promise. It was a way out. And Jesus says, if you're going to be my follower, belong to me, you can't live your life looking for a way out of commitment. To consistently declare that we have a belief in Jesus is not us making promises. So many words get used by people when they're trying to let you know how important what they have to say is. And they use big words and strong words and exaggerated words and they like to throw the word honestly in. I'm always leery of the overuse of the word honestly. What are you saying to me the rest of the time? Jesus speaks to these Pharisees. And they are frustrated with him. Because all of Jerusalem has been told that commitments are what you're supposed to make by a group of people who have not kept theirs. Are we consistent keepers of our commitments? Because that does not just make a statement about me or make a statement about you. It makes a statement about this God that we claim to have such great faith in. 
are we consistent? Jesus doesn't stop there. He, he, he keeps going because at this point, Jesus is on a roll. So verse 38. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Right? Has anyone ever heard that? An eye for an? A tooth for a? Well, maybe another way that we word it in 2017. I don't get mad, I get even oh you guys are quick on that we're ready we're ready to roll you don't have to be trained for revenge no one's ever sat any of you down and said when someone wrongs you here are the five steps that you have to take to make sure that you get them back especially if you grew up with siblings brothers and sisters in the house you're new how to get even with them immediately. You were just hoping they would wrong you so you could get even with them. You were hoping they would do something that crossed you so that when you crossed them back, they could never cross again. Jesus is addressing this. That there are people who have been telling the Jewish people an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And we always use that phrase. We like to throw it out. People who are not part of the Christian faith throw it out. But we use it poorly. Because this was not saying, you make sure that you get this. It was set up to be a limitation. If someone takes a chicken from you, when, when you would go to the court... They would make sure that you did not take more than a chicken when you went back to get your stuff. It was about you not overcompensating for being mistreated. But it's become this bloody, wrathful thing that we misuse and we have in Western movies thrown out all the time. What we find here is this is limit, not license. You look and you see Jesus says this, You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I'll tell you this. Don't resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Jesus is very careful in his word usage, and here's why. To be slapped on the right cheek meant that you were slapped with the left hand. And we live in a world where it's cool to be left-handed. And I, I've heard left-handed people are smarter from left-handed people. <laughs> but in the world that Jesus lived in, the, the teachers, if they noticed that a child leaned towards their left hand, they would smack them. They would correct it. Because that was your dirty hand. It was your bathroom hand. So when Jesus is pointing out that someone would strike you on your cheek, he's saying, they're hitting you with their bathroom hand. It's an insult. To hit someone on the right cheek was to hit someone who was a slave, a child, even a woman. People who in the world that Jesus lived in were viewed, poor, sadly, as inferior. And Jesus is saying, if they strike you on that cheek, turn to them so they have to hit you with their other hand. 
you choose to show them that you are equal to them. It, it was a, a heresy thing to an extent. Because if you were a person who was claiming to follow Jesus and you were unaccepted by the crowds, even though Jesus was doing cool stuff, there was a possibility that you would be smacked for that, the heresy slap. And Jesus here in this text is saying, if that happens to you, make sure you let them know that you are not unequal with them. We make these turn-the-other-cheek decisions. I say to you also this, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. There are these websites that you can order clothes from now that dress you because they don't think we can dress ourselves. Uh, Facebook keeps trying to get me to order from one of them and then you click on the website because that's what they're there for for you to click on. And you let them know your style and then they begin to send you layers. Like we ever need a layer in Lake Jackson, Texas. Here is the layer we need. Columbia fishing shirt. That's the only layer you need. But they want to give you all of these clothes. That's not the world Jesus lived in. You only had two things. You had a tunic, you had a cloak. So what Jesus is saying is if they want to take your tunic... Let them have your cloak so that they see the shame of the situation because you'll be standing there naked. Don't let them belittle you because of me. Stand confident in who you are because of me. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. <laughs> the Romans... The Jewish people were under occupation and they didn't have slaves. The Romans, however, did. And the Roman soldiers were actually there in Jerusalem. And if they needed you to carry their stuff, they could, by law, make you carry their bag, their coat, their whatever, for one mile. And Jesus says to them, don't let this be their decision. If they ask you to carry the coat for one, or carry the weight for one mile, make sure that you carry it for two. So that you're communicating to them very clearly that they don't own you. That this world that they live in does not define you. So much of this is about the world that Jesus lived in. Roman occupied territory not defining God's people. How much of our lives are about the world that we live in not being able to define us? A more popular word would be how much of the way that we live in this world says to those around us, this world is not my identity. Because when we fall into the places where we define us, we are saying that Jesus does not. Every time we make the turn the other cheek, take off my cloak, walk the extra mile decision, we are saying, this world does not own me. And the call of God on his people is to say over and over that we have one person who owns us, and that's, the, that's God of all creation. 
you keep going and you see that Jesus does not just tell us this idea of consistency, not commitment, or consistency rather than commitments and the idea of limits rather than license. He also says about love that you are to love exceptionally without exception. To love exceptionally without exception. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Where do they hear this from? The phrase hate your enemy is nowhere in the Old Testament. These Pharisees had made it up. They had taken various passages about how the nation of Israel should deal with other nations and they made it personal. And in doing so, they had ignored various passages throughout Scripture that says you are to care for the foreigner, to look out for the sojourner, to love those who you come in contact with. You've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So I'm supposed to love bad people. Evidently. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? How easy is that? How easy is it for us to love people that we like? And if the defining characteristic of Christianity is that we love people that we like, it's very unlike Jesus. Do you love people that you don't like or more importantly don't like you if no one doesn't like you we should introduce you to some new people if you love those who love you what reward do you have do not even the tax collectors do the same the tax collectors uh, they have been glamorized by songs about Zacchaeus the bible hobbit The tax collector in the Bible was a problem. He was a Jewish man who had chosen to turn his back on all the Jewish people. And in turning his back on the Jewish people, he had made a deal with Rome. And in this deal with Rome, they were allowed to go into the Jewish towns and basically extort the people. So they could take what they owed as taxpayers... But they also could take the soldiers above and beyond that. They were the most wicked of the wicked. They were despised. And Jesus says, do the tax collectors not even like the people who like them? Is that how you want to be defined? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others?
Jesus is saying to these disciples being overheard by the crowd, my people don't just love people who are like them. Well, church is easy if all that we ever do is sit around and pat each other on the back and sing songs and care about those who we like. But it doesn't seem to be much like the Jesus, Jesus teachings throughout Scripture or the life that Jesus lived. There's something to be said for loving those who we may not necessarily get along with. Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Tax collectors, Gentiles, lumped together all the time. And ultimately, Jesus is saying to all that hear, people who have no rightful claim on God do what you are finding your identity in. Ultimately, he's saying we should do more than love in a common way. So if you're asking yourself a question this week, here's a great thing to write down. Is there something about my love of others that cannot be explained naturally? One more time. Is there something about my love of others that cannot be explained naturally? These six antitheses for those who would claim to follow after Jesus. They're not parameters, they're possibilities. Why? Because verse 48, Jesus says this. He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Well, where do we get there? How does that happen for me or you? How can I fulfill these things? Well, in and of yourself, you can't. But these have all been made possible for you because these things, these very things that Jesus called the church to be are things that he took hold of himself. Why? Because when Jesus was struck, he could have called down an army of angels. And he took the blows. When we consider what Jesus says about divorce. We see that Jesus was faithful to fulfill the promises of God and to not let the cup pass from him. That Jesus would die for what the scriptures referred to as his bride. That Jesus did not only keep his word as he refers to with the oaths, he actually is the word of God made flesh. That for Jesus, there was actually a time where Romans did tell him to carry their equipment across. And when he was nailed to that cross, rather than curse them, he prayed for them. We are called to be the picture of who Jesus is. Because this Son of God, who we claim to have such faith in, died for his enemies so that these things 
could be possible. And the problem with most of us is that we have never noticed that the enemy was us. That you were far from God and he reached out to you. That you had an unloving spirit towards God and he loved you regardless. That the God of the Bible came down to take hold of you. And all of these things that seem impossible are possible because of who Jesus is in us. You should do this with me. I want you just to bow your heads and I'm going to give you some direction in a moment. If you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, those connection cards have a place for you to check. I would like to talk to someone about a relationship with Christ. We don't do this to force people to make decisions or to force you to write things down. We would love to sit down with you and talk to you about what that means. If you have any other questions about being a member of this church family, we would love for you to be part of what God's doing here. For those of us who are members here of Grace who belong to Jesus and who call this home. I encourage you with a couple of things. One is that every Tuesday, we as a church family are going through a revisit of what God's been teaching us on Sunday morning in something called Tuesdays Together. And I would love for you to think through what that means for you. To, to, it's on the back of your information guide. It's your worship guide. It's also posted on our Facebook page. But I do know this, that personally every one of us, we hear these things and it does seem exhaustive if it were not for the person of Jesus. I don't like to keep promises. That's not natural. But Jesus said, those who are in me, these things don't have to be you. So what I want you to do now is this. There are four tables set up around the room. And I just want us to go in groups towards one of those tables. And I want you to circle up around that now. We're going to begin to move towards these tables now. And I'll give you direction as to what to do next. Everyone in the room, stand up. Let's move to one of these four tables and circle up around them. As we consider all that Scripture teaches us about being God's people. your table there's a paper that, that has Ephesians 4 25 through 32 at the top I would like for someone to take that and read it aloud read it for your circle to hear
I want you to put your hand on the shoulder of the person to your left. And I want you to pray that God would guide them as to how they interact with those that frustrate them. Let them hear you pray. There's a sheet at your table that says Proverbs 4, 23 through 27. I would love for someone in your circle to read that aloud. Another person. Pray for the person to your right. That God will guide them to be faithful to him. They will guard their hearts. A third person, read Matthew 19, 4 through 6. Pray for the marriages represented in your circle now. Pray for husbands, pray for wives. Pray for them by name.
fourth person takes Psalm 105 and reads verses 7 through 11. Aloud. Could I just have an older man and an older woman from one of your circles just to pray that those that are there with you would walk in wisdom and they would live consistent lives. Just pray that over those who surround you. A fifth person could read 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8 for us in your circles. Pray for those in your circle, the one next to you, the one across from you, just two to three people. Pray that they would love those that they don't like so that we would show that Jesus matters to us. Go. With our heads bowed, we read, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. 
And Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body of the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything Jesus may be supreme. For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Jesus to reconcile to Jesus all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross of Jesus. There in your circle, can we just affirm and say to Jesus that he matters? Just speak words aloud as to what Jesus means to you go together all at once go 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 As I pray, move back to your seat so we can sing together to this great Jesus who makes all of these other things possible. Jesus, we thank you. We trust you. We believe you. Our hope is in you. If our hope is not in you, then we do not have hope. So God, I pray that we would live consistent lives, that we would be faithful to you and faithful to the marriages that you've called us to. That we would love our enemies and care for them because you have been good to us. We ask all these things in your holy, righteous, powerful name and everyone says,